I think I just want to recognize that wild pigs are an invasive species. They don't belong on our landscape. And so uh, we don't want to encourage people to either farm them or raise them for hunt purposes. They, they just don't belong here. Um, I think from the experiences that we've seen, especially in the southern states, um, you need to take control measures very quickly and very aggressively. Uh, if you wait until a problem uh, starts to get large, then you're way behind. It's been estimated that you have to remove up to 70% of a pig population in order just to maintain it at the same level. So, so that's that's that number sticks in my in my head as uh, you know we really have to get after this. And then the the last point that I would make is that building that coalition of stakeholders, so not just um, uh, government agencies, but non-government agencies, producer groups, uh, wildlife uh, groups, uh, environmental groups. You have to bring all of those folks into the same uh, umbrella, if you will, uh, to focus on this one issue. And everybody can play a part. Um, and it's not going to be solved by one group doing one thing. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada. Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Well, welcome to SwineNet Canada podcast. My name is John Patience, and I'll be the host for today's podcast. And with us today, we have Dr. Wayne Lees, who will be talking to us about a One Health approach to managing the wild pig population. Uh, good day, Wayne. How are you today? Doing very well. Thanks, John. Great. Wayne, before we get started, um, I know you're well known in, in a number of looking at your background in a number of different circles in Western Canada, but um, there may be some of our listeners that may not be familiar with who you are and your background. So if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes and where where Wayne got started and how you ended up being where you are today. Okay, it's, it's a long story and I'll, I'll <laughs> cut it short uh, for the sake of the listeners, but uh, I'm a veterinarian, uh, graduated from um, University of Saskatchewan and did a master's degree at the University of Guelph. Uh, the Ontario Veterinary College in veterinary epidemiology. So I've I've worked uh, in private practice. I've worked um, in uh, government circles, both at the provincial and federal level, and uh, 
now I'm, I'm working actually in, in a project to control wild pigs in Manitoba. Right on. And <clears throat> there, there's a number of aspects of this that I, as I was reading the background notes you prepared for me, thank you very much, um, that I think bring, might bring some new concepts to, to our listeners. And the first one is the One Health approach. So if you wouldn't mind, Wayne, um, maybe help our listeners to understand what exactly is meant by this One Health approach. Well, One Health is a term that was introduced uh, a number of decades ago, but um, it, it hasn't really caught on in, in terms of general knowledge. But I, I look at One Health as uh, an intersection of um, issues that affect uh, animal health, it, inv- it, it, it affects uh, environmental health, and it can affect human health. So where those three things intersect, uh, that will be called a one health problem. And uh, the problem with wild pigs actually fits right right in that intersection. Okay. And so that's a, that's a nice way to s- uh, segue into the topic about wild pigs. And why is it such an issue, Wayne? Why, why should we be worried about a population of wild pigs? Well, uh, let me just start then with the environmental impacts of wild pigs. Uh, They're an introduced species. Uh, They're not native to North America. And uh, they do a lot of damage in the environment uh, through their rooting behaviors, uh, through their um, omnivorous uh, appetites. So they can um, eat anything, basically, that they find. Uh, including small mammals and reptiles and endangered species. Uh, Their rooting behavior destroys uh, the environment locally, um, as well as destroying crops. Uh, They especially like things like uh, standing corn or potatoes or any of those types of things. And uh, when you look at a pasture that wild pigs have been in, it looks like a rototiller went through it. It's pretty dramatic. Um, From the animal health point of view, they're a significant threat um, because they can carry all the diseases that domestic pigs have, uh, such as PED or uh, PRRS. But the biggest issue that I think uh, most swine producers are worried about is their ability to carry foreign animal diseases should they ever be introduced into this country. So they could carry things like foot and mouth disease. They could also carry African swine fever, which is a major, major worry for swine producers. And then finally, their their human health issues. Um, these are not nice creatures. They're pretty, uh, pretty aggressive and... Um, so there are human safety factors. If these animals are ever cornered or uh, threatened in any way, they will charge and have very long tusks. And uh, there have been reports of people being injured uh, with wild pigs. Right. You bet. Uh, and to clarify, Wayne, so the issue with wild pigs is certainly a, a, a health and biosecurity issue as it relates to uh, the Canadian pig population, domestic pig population. 
but they do not represent um, a disease risk. Now, you mentioned the health issues related to their uh, living um, in the wild uh, and the effect on humans, but they do not represent a health risk to humans. Is that correct? Um, they could carry a few of the zoonotic diseases, such as uh, certain types of uh, tuberculosis or leptospirosis or other things. Those are probably a minor risk for most people. But the, the, the big issue really is their ability to carry uh, swine-related diseases. And so that's the major issue. Although, uh, because they can carry uh, things like tuberculosis, they can be a, an issue for uh, cattle producers, uh, both beef and dairy. Gotcha. Right on. Yeah, because they're also housed outside, outdoors, right? So that the interaction could be greater. Okay. Um, and one just small question, just trying to build the, the background before we get into the guts of the conversation, Wayne. And that is, you mentioned that uh, these wild pigs are not indigenous to North America and certainly not to Western Canada. Um, where did they come from? Well, uh, we brought them in, basically. Um, during the 1980s and the 1990s, agriculture was in a really tough spot economically. And so uh, they were looking for all kinds of ideas to diversify agriculture. So uh, it was thought that if, if people could uh, raise uh, these Eurasian wild boars, uh, that might provide a different uh, agricultural income stream. A um, couple of assumptions to that were that, well, because Manitoba winters and prairie winters in general are fairly severe, that they wouldn't survive outdoors if they ever escaped. Well, it, that was found to be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> they survived right. and they survived very well. Um, the, the issue was that um, they didn't really uh, produce uh, very good economic gains in terms of feed conversion or, or uh, carcass cutability and that sort of thing. And they... They, uh, they, they didn't really provide an economic uh, return for the, for the producer. So as a result of that, uh, many producers got out of um, wild boar raising. Uh, some some uh, slaughtered off their herds. Others simply neglected the, the fence and the, these animals escaped. The issue now is that we have... Uh, the Eurasian wild boar, which most people could recognize by the long skinny snout and, and the kind of the razorback appearance, but they can interbreed with other uh, pigs and form a hybrid. So you get the production of domestic pigs, uh, two litters a year, uh, four to eight pigs per litter, uh, and the hardiness of the, the Eurasian wild boar. So you, you actually get... On the pig side, it's the best of both worlds. For our side, it's the worst of both worlds. Yeah, yeah, it really is. As you pointed out, the worst of worst of uh, both worlds because they brought their respective strengths into the into the hybrid, and um, and that's just made the problem infinitely infinitely worse. So, uh, yeah, and just very briefly, Wayne, I'll just mention to you. Um, uh, that I just got back from uh, the island of Sardinia, which is in the Mediterranean just off of Italy. 
and they have had a serious problem with with wild boars there. And I had been there about eight years ago, and you would see outdoor pigs all over the place, including wild animals. Um, and this time, they they embarked on a very very aggressive. They brought in the army, and uh, and a, a very aggressive um, depopulation. And I don't know how well it worked, but I do know that when we traveled around where we saw pigs before, we didn't see a single outside pig, not not one. Um, but let's get into that for Western Canada now, Wayne. What uh, what is going on about controlling these pigs? Well, uh, let me just give you a little definition that we use in Manitoba too, because I think that's useful. So we call them wild pigs. Uh, other people will call them feral hogs. Some people will call them wild boar. These are all the same animal, but we call them wild pigs because we include any pigs that are outside a fence. So these could in involve uh, the Eurasian wild boar. They could involve pot-bellied pigs. They could involve hybrids. Uh, for the purposes of a control program, it's basically any any pigs that are not being confined. Definition makes it much simpler than to administer a program. That makes sense. That and that. Uh, thank you for clarifying that because I keep hearing the different terms and I never quite know what people are meaning by it. So you've just said we're not going to worry what we're meaning by it. We're just referring to any animal that is uh, living in the wild. Right. And so. Uh, the other thing that I'd like to um, make clear is that we're not condemning outdoor pig raising. Um, you know, you sometimes get this uh, debate between, um, you know, large scale agriculture uh, versus small scale agriculture. I, I think we need both of those systems. Um, the issue with uh, most of the smallholder uh, raising pigs is that if you can't keep them confined, then they're going to be a constant risk of escaping. And so really, uh, biosecurity becomes really important for the small-scale uh, landholder. And, and so uh, we really promote um, advanced biosecurity in terms of maintaining fences and making sure that the pigs are contained. How would you maintain biosecurity, i.e., and what I'm really asking about is preventing the transmission of disease from the wild pig population, <clears throat> excuse me, to pigs that are being housed in out, outdoors, uh, in paddocks, uh, pastures, or uh, whatever. Um, how, how, what are you recommending to those producers to uh, prevent the transmission of disease from the wild animals that basically can walk up to the fence line. Right. Um, there's some really good information that Prairie Swine Center is is uh, publishing uh, for smallholders, uh, small-scale pig farming. And uh, if, if folks do a Google on that, they'll find uh, some really good information in terms of uh, feeding practices for small-scale uh, pig producers, uh, biosecurity, uh, vaccination, and health requirements. Um, so rather than get into lots of details, I, I would refer people to that uh, resource. Is just Google Prairie Swine Center and smallholder pork production or something? Yes, it's uh, smallholder uh, pig production 
um, right. or small scale pig production, and and they'll find it. Um, it's yep. very well set, uh, well done set of uh, videos. So oh, they're, okay. they're pretty yep. pretty easy to see. Uh, some really good brochures, um, and I know that they've been pretty active in in trying to promote this information through. Uh, feed stores and those types of outlets uh, to get the get the information out to small scale uh, swine producers. Gotcha, right on. Okay, so let's now turn our attention to the to the guts of the story, Wayne, and and uh, and that is how do we control this wild wild pig population? Yeah, um, I look at it because I've, I've had a background in um, animal disease outbreaks. I sort of apply the same principles uh, to this as, as an animal disease outbreak. And first, so there's kind of a technical side, you know, all of the, the tools that we have to use. And then there's a non-technical side, which is, you know, engaging people and partnerships. So if we talk about the technical stuff, um, it's it's really um, first of all identifying where the wild pigs are, and so you have to know where they are in order to do anything about it. And so surveillance then becomes one of the key issues in terms of finding out where are these populations, and uh, and and then we move on to the control methods after that. Can you talk to us then? That's I like that approach. And of course, you have an advanced degree in epidemiology, which I'm sure isn't doing you any harm when you're ta- when you're approaching this particular subject, Wayne. So uh, you're kind of the ideal guy to be in this position. So what what are you recommending with respect to surveillance? Is it uh, local people reporting sightings? Is it active surveillance programs that are being carried out in Manitoba? What what are we talking about in terms of surveillance? Well, the answer to that is all of the above. Um, you need you need all the tools in your tool belt in order to uh, conduct your surveillance program. So one of the things that we did uh, starting last year was that we began a public outreach to get the, the uh, folks who are traveling around the countryside to report sightings of wild pigs. And that was pretty successful. Last year, I think we had 127 reports of wild pigs. And we, we put that on a map and we published that on our website. And uh, then we're able to, then to uh, see where the concentrations of, of uh, wild pig sightings are. So j- just for reference, our, our website is www.squealonpigs.com mb.org and yeah and and so that was sort of the first tool that gave us an indication of you know where to start looking um, then we'll we uh, follow up on that and then talk to the local and landowners in that area and ask them if they'd seen any signs of damage or pigs. And so the field follow-up then becomes a question of basically uh, driving around, uh, knocking on doors, trying to figure out where uh, folks might have seen pigs and and uh, trying to get, gather some of that local knowledge, which 
is really important, I think, in terms of getting a sense of, of what the, the uh, folks on the ground are seeing. Right. And, and based on what you're saying, Wayne, um, the landowners, uh, they don't have to be pork producers to be suffering losses due to the presence of, of wild pigs in their area or on their farms. So uh, they should be, uh, and, and it's good to hear that you are including them in the program because they certainly have a vested interest in your success as well. As, as much as we can, we try to encourage uh, the local landowners to become involved um, to help uh, monitor the trail cameras that we'll set up in an area. And, and uh, we'll use cell phone-enabled trail cameras so that uh, when a motion is triggered, it sends the picture. And the, the uh, picture can be sent to the uh, landowner as well as our field manager. So they become intimately involved with the program. And they really uh, are, are quite appreciative in most cases of being able to get involved and, 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 and start to manage it. But uh, I would have to say that uh, one of the biggest um, uh, groups that I think could be affected would be bee farmers because they're, you know, they've got animals on the land, especially if they feed standing corn, then the, we've had reports of pigs right in with the cows. Wow. I'm looking at your, uh, the map on your website right now. Yeah, Wayne. Thanks for giving me the uh, the 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 website. It's uh, it's really interesting because clearly the wild pig uh, issue is spread basically throughout the whole agricultural area of uh, of Manitoba, um, but it does seem like there's quite a concentration. If I'm reading it right, just to the uh, to the east of Brandon, kind of kind of along the Trans Canada Highway, actually. So. Uh, yeah, so it and it not very much down towards the U.S. border. That's kind of interesting. There's a few dots down there, but not a lot. So uh, we consider the uh, area southeast of Brandon as uh, the Spruce Woods area. Uh, Spruce Woods Provincial Park is in that area, and and that's where I would think the vast majority of of the pigs are, but. As you will see, I mean, we do have a few sightings scattered, uh, scattered farther north, and uh, uh, we get some uh, sightings uh, in the southeast corner uh, of the province. Um, those sightings are usually escaped domestic pigs. Uh, and just a very that raises a, just a very quick question, uh, Wayne. How mobile are these pigs? How far afield will they move? Do they settle into an area and stay relatively uh, close to that area, or will they travel large distances? Um, that's an interesting question, because the more we learn about pig behavior, um, I think the better our control methods are going to be. So the, the, uh, uh, the females, the breeding females and the immature pigs stay in a group called a sounder. And they tend to stay in an area uh, so that they need water and they need feed uh, and, and some sort of shelter. So um, normally they'll stay in relatively close uh, proximity to some sort of water body, like either a slough or 
a stream or something along that line. Um, the mature males, the boars, uh, they tend to be in singles. And they, some people have done tracking on those boars and found that their range is very large. So they'll be off looking for girlfriends all over the country. Okay, well, let's turn our attention now. When you've given us some really, really, really good background information, now can we turn our attention to the actual um, control uh, practices that you are involved in or anticipate becoming involved in? Sure. So um, just to go through the process, once we get a report, a sighting, then uh, one of our field people will will scout the area and talk to the landowners. Um, they will ask to set up a uh, trail camera in in the area where they think the pigs are, and they'll start to set out some bait. Uh, usually, that's fermented corn or Jello powder, um, and so the pigs are attracted to that. But things like deer and uh, other animals generally aren't. Once we get pigs coming to an area, then we'll set up um, a, a trap. Uh, and there's two different types of traps. There's the steel uh, corral panel type traps with wire mesh on them. And they have a drop gate usually. Um, and then there's another uh, net-based ring trap. So it's it looks like a volleyball net in, in a big ring. And... Uh, uh, those are anchored uh, with T-posts uh, around the perimeter of it. And then the, uh, the idea is that you roll up the net and you bait the inside. And then once pigs get used to coming to it, you just you, you drop the net and then they will push their nose under the net and, uh, and then they can't get out again. That's, those are the two major types of traps that people have used. Okay. What... Um, obviously, I think the question is going to be on a lot of people's minds. What about hunting? Yeah, that's a bit of a mixed review on hunting. Um, some people, I think, initially thought that hunting, you know, you could you could hunt your way out of it. Um, what ends up happening is that uh, if you've got a group of pigs uh, and, you know, you get three or four of them, the rest of them will just scatter and they'll be much, much harder to find next time. Um, they'll, they won't come out during the day. They'll stay um, hidden until nightfall. Uh, you tend to disperse the group. Uh, so it's not usually a good idea uh, to encourage hunting. Uh, I think the one exception would be for those lone males that are traveling around the country. You know, um, they might, they might, uh, be controlled through some some hunting, but uh, again, it's a bit of a a, a mixed review. It's it's not going to be the solution for sure. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a tough problem. I mean, it's just uh, uh, it's been around for a while. It's been around. I mean, Manitoba or Western Canada is certainly not the only place that's trying to deal with a wild pig population. Uh, many U.S. states, I know. We read a great deal about it in Texas, for example, um, where they apparently have very, very large numbers of, of wild pigs. So it's um, it's it's a it's a very widespread problem. So I'm sure people are watching what you folks are doing with a great deal of interest. Before we 
start winding up our conversation, Wayne, were there any other messages you had for our listeners today? Yeah, I think um, some of the issues that we encounter in Manitoba are, are the technical issues are related to, um, you know, winter conditions. And so uh, we've learned a lot from uh, our colleagues in the U.S. in terms of wild pig control, but we've got a number of issues that we need to solve because of snow and cold weather and poor cell service and those types of things. So we're working on that. Um, uh, but I, I think the, the big thing that I would like to um, point out is that you know, you can do all of these technical things, but unless you actually have uh, folks who will collaborate with you and work with you, um, you can have the best technical services in the world and they're not going to be successful. So um, communications and building partnerships becomes really the integral part of, of a wild pig control program. Good. And... Um, uh... So any, let's say, messages you before we move into our final three questions that I talked to you about earlier, Wayne, um, any sort of general take-home messages you'd like to emphasize with our listeners today? Yeah, I think I just want to recognize that wild pigs are an invasive species. They don't belong on our landscape. And so uh, we don't want to encourage people to either farm them or raise them for hunt purposes. They, they just don't belong here. Um, I think from the experiences that we've seen, especially in the Southern states, um, you need to take control measures very quickly and very aggressively. Uh, if you wait until the problem uh, starts to get large, then you're way behind. It's been estimated that you have to remove up to 70% of a pig population in order just to maintain it at the same level. So, so that's, that's, that number sticks in my, in my head as, uh, you know, we really have to get after this. And then the, the last point that I would make is that building that coalition of stakeholders, so not just... Um, uh, government agencies, but non-government agencies, producer groups, uh, wildlife uh, groups, uh, environmental groups. You have to bring all of those folks into the same uh, umbrella, if you will, uh, to focus on this one issue. And everybody can play a part. Um, and it's not going to be solved by one group doing one thing. Right. Good point. That, that's a Great point to uh, to finish up on, and I'd like to just um, at the same time, one of my take-home messages from what I've heard from you, Wayne, is the website, which, uh, you know, as you mentioned, is squealonpigsmb, as in manitoba.org, and as an example, you've got some wonderful uh, photographs here, which shows what uh, the footprints look like, it shows what scat looks like, it shows what their nests look like, um, and also shows uh, what is the result of their rooting behavior. So it would be pretty easy for somebody who has absolutely no familiarity with pigs whatsoever to be able to identify whether um, uh, wild pigs have been in, in their area. So that's a great website. Uh, thanks very much for that. 
It's time for our famous three. So let's move on to our final uh, three questions, Wayne. And uh, the first question that I have for you is uh, is with respect to um, uh, references that you have used uh, and sort of a favorite uh, uh, book that you would have that's related to pigs that you would like to share with our listeners today? Sure. Um, well, I, when I was working for the federal and provincial governments, I had uh, uh, roles uh, in enforcing disease control measures and and uh, trying to stamp out disease outbreaks and things like that. And um, so I picked up a book. Uh, it's not really about swine particularly, but it's about people who have to solve difficult or what they call wicked problems. And, and how do you do that uh, when the answers aren't easy? And it's called uh, The Regulatory Craft, Controlling Risks, Solving Problems, and Managing Compliance. And it's by a fellow by the name of Malcolm Sparrow. Malcolm Sparrow was, uh, came from the UK, and he was on uh, a number of task forces trying to uh, solve issues related to drug running and all kinds of things that, um, uh, you know, are, are really hard problems. And the thing I got out of his book was that he would come up with out-of-the-box solutions that involved a lot of collaboration and a lot of building stakeholder in, involvement. And uh, it was it was a good book for me to read at the time, and some of the lessons have really stuck with me. Great. And what was the name of that book again, please? Called The Regulatory Craft uh, by Malcolm Sparrow. Sparrow is in the bird, yeah. Right. And my second question for you uh, is, um, do you have a favorite book that's not related to uh, pigs? That just uh, it can be fiction, nonfiction, reference, whatever. Yeah, this this again was uh, it's sort of one of the uh, it, it's not really light reading, but it was a, a book that made an influence on me as I was uh, working in various roles. Um, and it's called Leading at a Higher Level by Ken Blanchard. Um, so uh, he goes through um, how do you develop leadership skills to manage change, especially um, when you may not have direct oversight over other people in that organization. So again, it sort of uh, works on the coalition building, um, uh, being a leader without necessarily having line authority. So it, you know, it, it's, it, it really helps if, if you're trying to uh, build a, a, a group to accomplish a task, if you're trying to lead a volunteer organization, you know, all of those types of things. Um, it, it helps to put the different uh, perspectives in, in, in order so that you can um, uh, build a team that's actually going to do something and, and solve the problem. Right on. Great. And my final question for you then, Wayne, is uh, this I, a question I like. I think it, it's a really good one for young people who are either still uh, getting their education or in the early stages of their career, what would you say are the characteristics that set apart the leaders in your field? Um, I think good leaders 
have a few traits, I think. Um, be curious. You know, try to learn as much as you can about a new issue and uh, try to understand other people's points of view. And so be curious and be respectful. I mean, uh, I, I think in today's world, respect is something that's sometimes in short supply. And so can we understand other folks' point of view, even if we don't like it or don't agree with it, uh, and see where where they're coming from? And then finally, I think I would say, be learning continually. Try to, you know, I, I tell people I, I try to learn one new thing every day, but sometimes I have to forget something to learn something new. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Our craniums only have so much capacity, Wayne. Yeah, right? my, my hard disk is full, I'm afraid. So there you go. Okay. Well, on that note, I think that's a great, uh, a great comment that we can wrap things up on today. Thank you, sir, so very much. Uh, I've been uh, speaking with Dr. Wayne Lees, who's coordinator with the Squealon Pigs Manitoba program, uh, dealing with the One Health approach to uh, the uh, management and control of wild pig population in Manitoba. Wayne, thank you so very much. It's been a real pleasure learning from you today. Yeah, thank you, John.